Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we take a look at the launch of the Africa Super League and assess how it's shaping up and ask, where's the money coming from? We talk about Brentford forward Brian Beumo's decision to switch from France to Cameroon ahead of the World Cup. And we speak to Nigeria defender Calvin Bassey, who moved last month from Rangers in Scotland to Ajax in the Netherlands. Bassey tells us about the disappointment of losing the Europa League final on penalties in May. Go left or right, keep her guessing the right way, it's not a goal, do you know what I mean? So, just unlucky. That's coming later. Also, lots on the English Premier League as Erling Haaland made a great debut and as Ivory Coast forward Maxwell Cornet joined West Ham. But let's start with the Africa Super League, which was launched on Wednesday by CAF President Patrice Motsepe in Arusha in Tanzania. The competition's been talked about for more than a year now, but the launch still didn't give full details on how it's going to work. Uh, plans are for the 24-team club tournament to start in a year from now, with an overall prize fund of $100 million. Motsepe continued to talk about how clubs, member associations and CAF itself will benefit financially from the Super League, but there was no mention as to who might sponsor the competition or where the money will come from. Now, CAF's 54 member associations will all get a million dollars a year from Super League funds, with CAF also hoping to earn about $50 million to put towards youth and women's football. The FIFA president Gianni Infantino was at the launch and Motsepe said that Africa will support Infantino's re-election bid next year. And at the launch, Infantino claimed that the Africa Super League is different to the failed attempt to create a European Super League by some of Europe's top clubs last year. Uh, so, Ida, this much-awaited launch still leaves a lot of unanswered questions, uh, but the promises of financial benefits continue, although we don't know where the money will come from. Steve, the information of the launch from CAF's General Assembly in Tanzania, well, it was anticlimactic, and that's saying the least. Because, as you've said there, CAF has been talking very big numbers. You know, they said as well that the first 24 teams to take part in the competition would receive $2.5 million to help with travel because as we know, travel within Africa, in and around Africa, is not cheap, and to help with accommodation during the competition. But Steve, we still have no idea where the money will come from, because so far, no mention of a sponsor or a backer. And this is coming after a huge financial loss for the Confederation. So it's worrying because don't forget that the audit done not too long ago on CAF showed losses of up to $45 million. That was in the 2020-21 year, of course, owing to effects of COVID and whatnot. Another thing, Steve, that stakeholders were waiting on that CAF frankly failed to deliver was the format of the competition. I mean, yes, it's a 24-team tournament. It will feature three groups of eight teams. CAF did inform that the three groups will be regionalized, but didn't give information on how they plan on doing it. 
because on a continental level alone, there's more than four blockades because there's Kosafa in the south, there's Sekafa in the eastern central, there's Yunaf in the north, there's Wafu, which is then broken down further into Wafu A and B, you know. But what we do know is that the top five teams will go through to the knockout round together with the best sixth placed team. But we still don't know how the teams to participate in the Super League will be selected. Now, will there be qualification rounds? How is it going to go? Steve Kaff did at least say that there will be promotion and relegation in the Super League and that it will see a maximum of three teams from a single country. Now, a really cool aspect of this, if actually enforced, is that the participating clubs will have to fall in line with the CAF club licensing rules because they will, of course, be obliged to meet criteria to do with youth and women's football development in the clubs. As for Infantino, well, he defended the CAF Super League, as you've said, saying that unlike the European Super League, which was a breakaway, that was because its founders were outside the powers that be, in this case UEFA, he did say that the African Super League is happening within a framework supported by the continental body and, of course, as we can see, the world governing body as well. Yeah, sure. Still more questions than answers when it comes to the Africa Super League. We'll keep following this here on Planet Sport Football Africa, show brought to you by Passion for Sport. Now, Brentford forward Brian Beumo has switched his international allegiance from France to Cameroon with a good chance of playing for the Indomitable Lions at the World Cup in October. Beumo, who turned 23 recently, was born in France. He played for France at under-20 and under-21 level. Beumo has a Cameroonian father. He will need international clearance from FIFA and the Cameroon FA expect that it will be obtained before the World Cup. Uh, now, Brighton's Tariq Lamptey switched from England to Ghana a few weeks ago with the lure of the World Cup. And Mbeumo's move looks good for Cameroon, Ida. Well, Steve, this is something I actually feel very strongly about. I mean, I've said it before, I'll say it again. African teams shouldn't be viewed as contingency plans for players who see their chances of making it to their preferred European national teams as slim. And as we've seen, this is a trend that really picks up in a World Cup year. Now, of course, this isn't a blanket statement. Context does matter. I mean, you look at Dennis Odoi, for example, and we talked about him a couple of months back. Him representing Ghana for the first time at 33 and with a very good shot at playing in the World Cup. But one, Steve, many actually, would say that he proved himself for the Black Stars at the qualifiers. But what we're seeing more and more of is African countries wanting to boost their squads ahead of the World Cup, and as a result, taking on players of dual nationality, players who perhaps might never have seen themselves with an African team, and the country's hoping that the international edge will boost their chances in Qatar. Fair enough. Beumo has certainly had a good season in the English Premier League, getting plaudits from coach and fans alike. You know, eight goals, seven assists. That's in all competitions with Brentford. Now, before this, he was in France at Troyes. He came through the ranks of the academy 
all the way through to senior, but the club was then relegated. Steve, Brentford actually signed him for a then-club record fee of £5.8 million. Focusing on Cameroon, they're taking part in a historic 8th World Cup for the country. Can Beumo help them make more history, you know, by getting to the knockout for the first time since 1990? Well, we'll just have to see about that. Sure. Thanks, Ida. Next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, to our interview with Nigeria and Ajax defender Calvin Bassey. Now, Bassey moved last month from Rangers in Scotland to Ajax in the Netherlands for a Rangers club record sale of $24 million. Uh, two years ago, Bassey was in the Leicester City Reserves, so it's been a rapid rise for him. Uh, Bassey made 15 appearances as Rangers won their first top-flight title in a decade last season. He put in a great performance in the Europa League final, where Rangers lost to Eintracht Frankfurt on penalties. And another disappointment last season was Nigeria's defeat to Ghana in a World Cup playoff in March. Now, Planet Sport Football Africa's Oloeshina Okaleji spoke to Bassi first about the painful World Cup exit. Uh, obviously, it was a massive disappointment in Abuja that time, and we were all down and sad. But it's just, it, it's football. Sometimes it's football, you know. You don't always get things your way. Um, and then, obviously, in Europe, I thought we done well as a team. Um, and then you lose to penalties, just game of chance, really. Um, Go left or right, keep I guess it the right way. It's not a goal, do you know what I mean? So, just unlucky. Um, but then we had to bounce back again and just go again. So I've, I just feel like it's just taking each game as it comes. Don't get too far ahead of yourself, and don't let my 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 agent always says, don't let a loss get to your heart, don't let a win get to your head. So I think that's um, how I try to see my life. In Abuja, you came in for criticism like some older players in the team as well. Did that get to you? Did that bother you? No, obviously, I play for a massive club at Rangers, so if you don't perform, you're going to get it regardless. Um, so, it's just being used to it. I'm, I'm used to, like, you know, if I don't play well, everyone's going to be talking. Um, not just about me, but about my teammates and why did he play, why did this person play. Then it's just not about listening to the noise, just focus on yourself. Everyone's going to have their opinions about you. Football's an opinionated sport. Um, you respect teaching everyone's opinion and just carry on, go again and either prove them wrong or prove them right if they're saying good things about you. That's literally how it is. And it's so funny how life twists. All of a sudden, everyone then is talking about you being the most versatile player in the Nigerian squad now and then the fans were all shouting and calling your name on social media after your performance in Europe. Life is so funny, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I told you, it's just how football is. Hero, zero, like, so you can't let any of this get to your head. Obviously, you appreciate from the, when you feel appreciated from the fans, because at the end of the day, those are the driving force in football, and they are they are the reason why football is what football is. The, the atmosphere, the, the the love they have, and we have as players, they make us love football more. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's it's nice, it's nice. Was with Nigeria. I mean, you won't be going to the World Cup, obviously. But how important is it to qualify for the Afcon, and of course, you know, set the the wrongs right? I think. If you look at our squad, look at our players, you know, we've got one of the top squads in, in, in Africa and we, we need to perform, obviously, of course. You always need to perform, no matter how good or talented your players you've got. Um, but, you know, it's very important for us, you know. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing tournament and um, 
we'll be looking to give our best in the tournament and but we need to make sure we first qualify so it's very important for all of us and we're taking it 110% serious and making sure we get to where we want to be how much of an impact does religion and faith play in your life oh this is probably the biggest thing in my life you know i just feel like it just doesn't help me on the pitch but it also helps me as a person um helps me as a human being um, and yeah it's just it's just trying to keep that that just keep you grounded really i just feel like it keeps me grounded and level headed as a christian has there ever been a moment in your life where you have to turn to christ for for guidance or for direction or for for strength 100% even on the pitch there've been times on the pitch you're tired just look up you might say a quick prayer um and God gives you strength um, always. He's always with you. He's always watching you. Um, he sends his angels to protect you. So it's, it's probably the biggest thing in my life. Right? Um, and will always be. Yeah, and I've done it multiple times, multiple times. And I'm always thankful for how he helps me. It's funny how a man described as Colossus sounds so quiet and gentle. Everyone's talking about your voice, though. You just speak gently and all that. That's your nature, isn't it? Yeah, it's just... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really a screamer, shouter. In the right areas, I am, but yeah, um, yeah, I'm just trying to be calm all the time. That's Nigeria and Ajax defender Calvin Bassi speaking to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oluwashina Okaleji. Let's hope that things work out for Calvin Bassi with uh, Ajax. A big move to a big club for him. Well, next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport to social media. And last week we asked, is it right for the English Premier League players to stop taking the knee? Uh, So players will not be taking the knee before every match now this new season. Remember, the anti-racism gesture started back in 2020. uh, But now the plan is that it will only be done ahead of certain games, as captains and players are said to believe that they think it will now have a greater impact like this. So we asked, what do you think? Was taking the knee achieving anything? Should it have continued before every match or should it even be scrapped completely? Uh, Well, Sideko Suno in the Gambia says, yes, it's a good plan to uh, stop taking the knee if they promise the black players that there will be no racial abuse from fans and that if it does happen, that there should be disciplinary measures against those fans. And also in the Gambia, Belong Badji says, uh, kneeling or not, it's not the only solution. Uh, Players and fans, especially the fans, should embrace equality as key. They should also learn to accept the outcomes of matches and to accept players' performances rather than to react with racist abuse, uh, says Belong. So, Ida, two years on, how would you assess the impact of players taking the knee before every game? Well, Steve, this is a very nuanced issue. I mean, are there those who say that taking the knee basically lost its meaning and that the powers that be in global football haven't really put up a proper fight against racism and especially in punishing those responsible for these acts? Then, yes, I agree with that. And that is my stance as well. However, you have people who look at it differently. You know, Patrick Vieira, for example, Crystal Palace manager, said that no matter how small, that there was a statement being made and that statement needs to continue being made. But you know how it goes, Steve. We all know how it goes. There is a danger, it has to be said, in human beings taking something for granted the more they see it and it losing its power. 
And this is precisely what the Premier League captains concluded when they made this decision. So now it will only be done during the first and last rounds of fixtures. The dedicated no room for racism rounds that come around in October and March. The Boxing Day games and the Carabao and FA Cup finals. But Steve, there were players who had stopped taking the knee long before this. The likes of Wilfred Zaha, for example, basically compared it to a performative act with no real impact. Several championship clubs as well, you know, including Derby, Brentford, Bournemouth, QPR, they also stopped taking a knee around the same time. It's important to remember where the gesture started back in 2020 through the project Restart that was to support the Black Lives BLM movement. Now, that, of course, was after the death of George Floyd in the U.S., and it was, uh, the gesture itself, was inspired by U.S. quarterback Colin Kaepernick, who was also fighting his own, you know, in his own journey of injustice in the U.S. Now, do I support the stance of the Premier League captain? Steve, I do. We need to see more action, less gestures. Yes, it's a hot issue as the fight against racism in football continues. Thanks, Ida. Well, in other news, Morocco have parted ways with national team coach Vahid Hali Hodzic just three months before the World Cup. And Morocco's Football Federation say it was an amicable decision and that it's over how to prepare the national team for the finals. It could see the return of Chelsea winger Hakim Ziyech to the Morocco squad as Hali Hodzic and Ziyech had fallen out amid uh, much controversy. And Sebastian de Sabra has been appointed as coach of DR Congo, uh, replacing the Argentinian Hector Couper, who was sacked in June after the Leopards lost their first two qualifiers for next year's Africa Cup of Nations. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And still to come, a Stuart on Liverpool's dropped points on the opening weekend of the English Premier League. And this week on social media, we're asking which African players do you think will shine in the English Premier League this season? With the new season underway, which players from Africa do you think will have a great season ahead? Uh, there's the likes of Nottingham Forest signing Nigeria's Taiwo Awani. Chelsea have Senegal defender Kalidou Koulibaly. West Ham have just signed Maxwell Corne, and more on that shortly. And also still there in the Premier League, uh, the likes of Edouard Mendy, Wilfred Zaha, Enoch Mwepu, Patson Dakar and Hakim Ziyech, uh, to name just a few. Plus, of course, Mohamed Salah. Uh, so which African player or players do you think are set for a great season? You can go to our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Which African players do you think will shine in the English Premier League this season and why? Well, now let's talk more about the English Premier League. I'm joined by Stuart Weir in the UK, our European football expert. And what an exciting start it was last weekend. And Stuart, we must first talk about Erling Haaland. What a debut for Man City. Well, yes, I mean, he had a quiet game in the Community Shield and then followed that by scoring two goals in his first Premier League game. And this was something which was not lost on Pep Guardiola, who, talking to the press after the West Ham game, said, yeah, Everyone said he was a failure, no good, couldn't adapt to England. They laughed at him. Now they're saying he's going to be the next Thierry Henry and Alan Shearer combined. But having had his fun with the press, 
His manager then made a very interesting and serious comment. Says it will take him time. This was his first ever Premier League game. He's got a long career ahead of him, hopefully mainly at Manchester City. And only then is it right to analyse how good he is. Quite sensible words there. If you're interested in his statistics, he was on the pitch for 78 minutes, had 10 touches in the opposition penalty area. He had five attempts on goal. He had two attempts on target. And those were two goals. And you could add that his first goal was a penalty, and the penalty was for a foul on himself. If you're guided by statistics, really, it should have been no surprise that he scored in his Premier League debut. In his first game in the Champions League for Salzburg, he scored three. In his first game for Dortmund, he scored three. And in his Champions League debut for Dortmund, he scores two. (laughs) Perhaps West Ham got off lightly. Uh, Well, yes. And uh, Liverpool already two points behind Man City and not at their best, Stuart, in a 2-2 draw away to Fulham. Uh, They play Crystal Palace on Monday. Steve, I think I'm going to stop doing predictions. I said last weekend it's difficult to see Fulham getting anything out of a home game with Liverpool. Well, Fulham led twice and it took an 80th minute equaliser from Mo Salah to give Liverpool even the draw. Both Fulham goals were scored by Alexander Mitrovic from Serbia. Now, he's a big old-fashioned centre-forward who tries to bully his marker, fight for every ball, and has a remarkable goal-scoring record, 43 goals in the championship last year when Fulham were promoted. Now, last week we talked about how well Juan Nunes had played for Liverpool in the Community Shield. Well, obviously not well enough to impress Jurgen Klopp into giving him a starting place because Bobby Firmino started and Nunes had to wait until the 51st minute. So Liverpool, as you say, need to make up ground. Last weekend certainly didn't go the way Eric Ten Hag wanted his Manchester United career to start. With Brighton two up after 40 minutes, the travelling Brighton fans were singing, Can we play you every week? And then rather harshly singing to Ten Hag, you're getting sacked in the morning. You know, Brighton have sold arguably two of their best players, Eve Basuma and Mark Cucurella, for a combined $100 million. But they don't seem to be missing them. And it was not lost on Manchester United fans that the best striker on the field was Danny Welbeck. Now, wait a minute. Wasn't he a young player at Manchester United who was let go because they thought he wasn't good enough? Hmm. Chelsea beat Everton 1-0, and there were three remarkable facts about the win. In the first half, Chelsea had 13 corners without scoring. Their goal came in the ninth minute of stoppage time, and it was a penalty by Jorginho. And Jorginho's last 16 goals for Chelsea have all been penalties. And Steve, you have to go back to the 1980s, when Ray Stewart scored 20 goals for West Ham consecutively, all penalties. Jefferson Lerma only scored one goal in 33 championship games for Bournemouth last season. Well, it took him less than two minutes of Bournemouth's uh, start in the Premier League to score and give the newly promoted Cherries a win. I know you wanted to know this. Lerma's goal, which came after 1 minute 56 seconds, was the earliest goal by a promoted team since Jeff Palmer scored for Wolves against Liverpool in 1983. Brighton, Leeds United, Southampton 
and Crystal Palace all conceded own goals. And apparently that's the first time there have been four own goals in the same weekend for five years. And we talk about the international nature of the Premier League. 28 goals scored in the Premier League last weekend by players from 15 different nations. England, Brazil, Colombia, Uruguay, Belgium, Germany, Italy, Norway, Portugal, Serbia, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, Wales and just one African goal, Mo Salah for Egypt. And congratulations to Steve Bruce, the old Manchester United defender, currently manager of West Bromwich Albion, who has been involved in English football every season as a player or manager for 44 years. Wow, that's some achievement. And this weekend's big game is Chelsea-Tottenham on Sunday. Your thoughts, Stuart? It's a clash early in the season between two of last season's top four. Tottenham began the season with a 4-1 win over Southampton after conceding an early goal. Chelsea were less impressive beating Everton 1-0 with a penalty. And of course, these are two clubs which have probably spent the most money on new players. But the mood of the two clubs seems to be different. Antonio Conte has persuaded the board to give him the money. He's persuaded Harry Kane to stay. Thomas Tuchel, on the other hand, has been openly critical of his players and this week offloaded Timo Werner back to Leipzig. Before signing for Chelsea, Werner had scored 78 goals for Leipzig. That's one every game and a half. But for Chelsea, he could only find the net one and five. And you know, if Tottenham could just pull off a win at Stamford Bridge, it would be a massive statement for them. Yes, it would indeed. And a West Ham have signed Ivory Coast winger Maxwell Cornet from Burnley on a five-year contract for an undisclosed fee after paying his $21 million release clause. Now, Cornet moved to Burnley a year ago from Lyon in France. He was Burnley's top scorer last season with nine goals as Burnley were relegated. Uh, could be a good signing for the Hammers, Stuart. Well, not only did he get nine goals and 21 starts, uh, an interesting fact is that the, the first seven of his goals for Burnley were in games which Burnley either won or drew. So he's a player who scored important goals. Uh, born in Ivory Coast, he moved to France when he was 16, initially playing for Metz, and as you say, then with Lyon, where he had uh, six seasons. I confess I knew little about him when he arrived at Burnley, but he made a great contribution, a real impact I mean, you could say that his goals kept Burnley's survival hopes alive until the last game of the season. And now West Ham finished seventh last season, and somebody who can contribute five to ten goals uh, without being an out-and-out striker would be really valuable. And if he can keep up that goal-scoring ratio, he could prove to be an excellent signing. But... As we mentioned in a previous programme, it underlines the difficulty and the frustration that relegated clubs face. Burnley looked a very good Premier League club until they struggled towards the end of last season and they would be hoping to regain their Premier League place. But already they've seen Nick Pope, Ben Mee, Dwight McNeil, James Tarkovsky and Maxwell Corney leave. It's so much harder for Burnley now to challenge for promotion. Yeah, sure. And uh, what else have you got for us, Stuart? Well, Steve, one of the changes introduced this season is that clubs may now make five substitutions. This started during the pandemic, but has now become permanent. And last weekend, six clubs used all five substitutes. Six clubs used four. Six clubs used three. 
And Wolves and Leicester City only used one substitute. Two substitutes were made during the first half, presumably for injury, and then 32 of the changes came early in the second half and 40 in the last 15 minutes of normal time or beyond. But for me, the most bizarre timing of substitutions was Manchester United losing to Brighton and they made three substitutions after 90 minutes. Not a lot of time for those players to make an impact. One other statistic I read, which will take a bit of working out, is that we understand that referees have been encouraged to keep games flowing, play advantage and minimise stoppages. And last weekend, the ball was in play, I'm told, an average of 56 minutes, 31 seconds out of the 90 plus. Last season, it was 55 minutes, 7. So fans saw an extra 1 minute and 24 seconds of football. We'll have to see if that continues. And finally, Steve, we talked last week about Chelsea's signing of Kaladu uh, Koulibaly, the Senegalese defender. We now know his shirt number, number 26. That's the number worn by the Chelsea legend John Terry with such distinction through his Chelsea career. Well, so that's a big honour for Kaladu Koulibaly. Uh, right, uh, thanks, Stuart. And before we go, quick word about Sadio Mane uh, scoring uh, for Bayern Munich in their opening game uh, in the German Bundesliga as a Bayern got off to a winning start. Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.